0: and welcome to another episode of late to the party. So today I have a special guest with me and I am honored to have this fitness queen on my podcast. Her name is Sasha Whitney. Some of you might know her as the Sasha Whitney on her Instagram. Um, So yeah, welcome her to the episode and Sasha welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be
1: here. Thank you for having me. Yes.
0: Yes, right now with quarantine and COVID, it's so hard to, you know, get those conversations and get to meet new people. So I'm glad that this wasn't too awkward of a, you know, guys. (laughs) I slid in her DMs like real talk to try to get this uh interview so I'm just glad you weren't weirded out and no
1: I'm never weirded out I'm literally team slide in the DMs but I'm also like chaotic with the DMs so like everyone knows me they're like it, she may get back to in two minutes she can maybe get, get back to you in two days or two weeks you never know right. but I'm like so glad that you like actually reached out because I'm really excited about this and a DMV connect is always like
0: amazing I um, yes okay so some of you that may be listening to the podcast. Um, If you know or don't know, I'm originally from the DMV, which is District Columbia, Maryland, Virginia area. I personally live in Northern Virginia. um, But Sasha is a, I'm gonna say a known fitness instructor within the Northern (laughs) Virginia area. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that. (laughs) Um, And are you originally from the area as well? Or did you move? Okay, cool. I grew up in Peachy
1: County, Pretty Girl County. Woo! Yes, like that's, that's what everybody calls it, like PG Pretty Girl County. So, but I love it. I grew up um, in Peachy County, and I'm a homebody. So I went to school in Maryland, and now I live in Northern Virginia. I like live now forty minutes where I grew up, and I love traveling. But I'm also I don't know I'm a homebody. I like being close to home, and yeah. all of my siblings except one is here. So.
0: Oh, okay. Nice. And not originally, but how long has it taken for you to get into this fitness world? Like, did you always want this growing up? Or was it something that you kind of fell in love with?
1: So... It is actually funny because if anybody like knows me from childhood, they would be so surprised. The trajectory it has taken in the sense that I am the most unathletic person ever. Like my siblings grew up playing sports. The only thing I ever took to was cheerleading and people were like, cheerleading is not a sport. And I'm like, right. cheerleading is totally a sport. Okay. But like all of my parents, my dad loves soccer. Like I was like, you mean I got to stand on this big field and run around and kick this ball? <laughs> Absolutely not. Like soccer was, not the move for me, right? So I, I never, I didn't have a workout schedule. Didn't you know? Wasn't really into fitness and in college. But as I gr- graduated from college, I moved to Baltimore, started working, and I was just. I was commuting, like, when I lived at home before I moved to Baltimore, I was commuting like an hour one way every single day, and then I moved to Baltimore and I was, and then I took a job in D.C. So all of this to say that, like, I was, like, a huge commuter, and it was starting to really take a toll on me physically and, like, mentally, so I needed an outlet. Mm Because I was like, you know, when you're close, don't fit anymore, you're like, (laughs) is a problem? So I was like, I need to get active, I need to get moving. So I started looking for gyms in the area and workouts to do and I tried like a million workouts but none of them I never took to any of them the way I did spin like as soon as I found spin I was like oh my god this is my thing so but like looking back on it growing up I always wanted to be a lawyer and oh I love that yeah and and then that didn't happen there was (laughs) a whole story and a half behind that but um, yeah I really never saw myself on this path but I genuinely believe that You make plans and God's like, that's
0: cute. And the universe is like, I got something for that ass. 100%. Exactly. So, but I
1: never, growing up, I never saw myself in fitness, but I'm happy that I'm in this space now, like the health and fitness, health and wellness space. Like, I feel like this is my calling.
0: I love that. And how did you get started? Was it just like you doing a personal journey until you got comfortable enough to become an instructor? Or?
1: Yeah, so really, it was, I loved, I love spin. Like, I, I, there is no workout like spin, in my opinion. Like, you get on a bike, and it goes nowhere, but it goes everywhere you allow it to. You can be wooing one minute. The next minute, your endorphins and your emotions get best you. You're crying in a dark-ass yeah and you're like, why am I crying? And then you're like, is this sweat or tears? Like it, it, it's, it's crazy, and it's amazing, so... I was spinning and, you know, some of the instructors that I took, they'd be like, have you ever considered doing this? I'd be like, no, you know, I got my full-time job. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, this is just for fun. This is just for exercise. But I started to notice that this is like DC, right? It's chocolate city, but I'm looking around me and I would often be the only black woman in the room or the only black person, period. I wouldn't even say black woman. There would be no other black people. And I Same. didn't see black women instructors. So I was like, I know this is not... For a lack within us. Like there are there's talented instructors out there, but why don't I see them? And when you don't see an example of you, you become the example. So I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. And what's the worst that could happen? Somebody says no. I I go audition for somewhere, and someone says no. Okay, Mm -hmm. whatever, go to the next studio. So I And I had been thinking about it for maybe six or seven months. But the one thing that finally pushed me into going out and getting my certification was I went to this one girl's class and it ended up being like a surprise country class. And I was like, what the hell? Like a country theme Uh ride? It was, I'm not even joking. I'm not even a music snob, right? But there is nothing more jarring. I mean, there are a lot of things for drawing I'm going to make a little dramatic here. But when you're like jogging to Garth Brooks, it's a problem. So yeah. I was like, I got to go. Like, I got to get certified. This, this is crazy. <laughs> so I got certified and that was back in 2015. Okay. And I've been coaching since then.
0: Wow, that is awesome. And yes, 100% to everything you said about black people in the space of cycling and even in the space of exercise. Sometimes I would yes. feel like if I went to Orange Theory, I would be maybe one or two of the only black people there. Or if right. you go to cycling, especially and I don't know if it's so much that there's no publicity to yeah. our you know race, or if it's just like, you know, set up that way. And that might be a little too intense of a way to say it, but.
1: No, I think it's honestly a mix of both Mm -hmm. because, you know, I was thinking that before, like five or six years ago, I was like, what is with this lack of disparity? Because like, you know, like we said, it's not a lack of talent, there right. are talented, wonderful, phenomenal black instructors out there, but what is for this lack of representation? Mm-hmm. And then you recognize that the fitness industry is a microcosm of our larger society, which is very prejudiced, which is very discriminatory, which is very white leaning. Mm-hmm. So even though black instructors exist in this space, we don't get shine. There is a lot of lack of representation. Then, when you're in the space, there are so many disparities, so many barriers to success, and it's really difficult, you know. And then, on, on top of there being the barriers to success and mm-hmm. you know the lack of representation, then you deal with the client-facing side and the microaggressions that come with that and the frustrations that come with that. So, it, 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 it's that lack of us being there. And then that lack of representation, I don't think it's insidious to say that it's kind of purposeful. Yeah, I I, I would agree with you in that regard.
0: And that actually brings us to the other part of the conversation, which is um, I was going to have a question of how you feel race plays in or your race played into your success or well, I'm going to call you success because it, it you have been very successful. Thank you for so, speaking. You yes,
1: speak
0: exactly. We are not going negative here. This is a positive exactly. space. <laughs> um, but do you feel that because I noticed one of your posts where you're saying, I'm going to put all these microaggressions into um, what are they like the motiv- motivational cards? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this is like putting stars on shade like it was or glitter. You know, it's so crazy that people feel confident to say things like that to your face, which yeah. we have all now realized is privilege, white privilege. But, yeah, um, absolutely white privilege. Yeah. How do you feel your race has played a part in you being an instructor? Especially so in the Northern Virginia area.
1: It's, it's twofold. Because you're in this space where there are few of you. Mm-hmm. But... You are in this space that is, a, like I said, a microcosm of our largest society that pigeonholes black women, that stereotypes black women, that stereotypes black people, period, but especially black women. So I made a purposeful, I said, if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna be myself because there is no way, I, it is such emotional labor to try and hide who you are. And in the professional nine to five, you are code switching constantly. You can't bring your full self to work. Like I'm reading the memo by Minda Hearts, and it, it, it talks about, I recommend all black women read this book or especially those who are newer in their career. But she was saying that as a black woman, you can't bring your full self into work. And even Austin Channing Brown, um, I'm Still Here, another great book. I read both of those books and I'm like, you know what? I, I recognize that I, held myself back in so many spaces because I was so worried about how people would perceive me and people in my, you know, work environment, they'd be like, Sasha, you're so quiet. And I'm like, me, you don't, y'all don't know me at all. Like no one who really knows me would ever be like Sasha, you're so quiet. So I said, if I'm going to do this fitness thing, I'm going to come as myself Mm -hmm. because I don't want to have to pretend. And I can't pretend in a space in which I'm so passionate. Spin is such a great passion of mine. There's no way that I could come in there as someone else i gotta come in there as myself so i think people took to that authenticity and i feel like with black women we just have this like this literal magic where you just connect with people and black women are just so i don't want to you know stereotype you know we're not a monolith but literally so many black women more than not are so warm so welcoming so just out there just so them. Just so authentic. And I love that. And I think that's what people, that's what's played a part of my success that people, you know, real recognize real. So people can see that you're, what you're getting is what I'm giving. And that's a hundred percent. There's no fake, there's no phony. It's just out there. It's just me. So I think that leading That's just myself. And that's the feedback that I've gotten. Like, I feel like I can talk to you about anything. I just feel like you're not pretending with me. That's feedback I get a lot. And I really like that. And I think that's a positive thing. But on the flip side of that, it comes the microaggressions, Mm -hmm. it comes the denial of opportunities, thinking that Black women, you're not capable, you know. So I I recall that there were some leadership opportunities that I wanted to pursue. And it was kind of like a carrot being dangled in my face. And then the opportunity went to someone who had less seniority than I did, less experience, and just so happened to be Involved in other ways with management. So those leadership opportunities get taken from you. You are you are chastised for speaking out like one of the uh, one of the motivational posters, you know, the Mm -hmm. microaggressions in my motivational posters was I was accused of creating a gang mentality because I wanted Larger sports, like larger size. I just need a medium sports bra. Like, sorry, I have boobs. Yeah. Like, bad. like <laughs> right. I just need, I cannot fit into these smalls and extra smalls you got on the wall. Ugh. And then I'm so black women, like, let me, I don't even want to like say black women as a whole because I don't want to stereotype, but as a black woman and just how I was raised and the culture that I was raised in, I'm very direct and mm-hmm. very outspoken. So, When you're alive as a black woman, you're seen as aggressive. You're seen as too upfront, too direct, too something. Too much. And I definitely, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going
0: to say just too much in general.
1: Too much, exactly. Too much in general. You show up to these spaces as just who you are and it's too much. And so I think it's been a double-edged sword for me because I've been able to show up as myself, but... Who I am as myself, what I bring has gotten me on the receiving end of retaliation, pushback, negativity, lack of opportunities, prejudice, racism, discrimination, Mm -hmm. like all of that. So it's, I won't even say it's a double-edged sword because it's like 10 to 15, maybe 20% amazing and then it's (laughs) like 20% neutral and 60% like. Um,
0: so basically you're putting in it's a lot of work to do what you do and the reason you're doing it is obviously because you love it because right. it seems like it's hard to unfortunately be yourself and be in this space when it seems like they've already set up an idea of who and yes. what should be the instructor. Yes. And actually you brought up a good point of the small and extra smalls on the walls um I didn't mean to rhyme, but that did. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, okay, Maya Angelou, come right? it's gonna be a poetry session. <laughs>
1: um, let
0: me clear my throat. I, <laughs> um, but it it makes me think because I grew up in the Northern Virginia area. I went to Catholic school, so a majority of my rooms and spaces were obviously Caucasian to yeah. the point where you start to feel like you need to fit in with that. And you need to make you need to mimic your body to that you need to, yes. you know, straighten your hair to mimic that. And so I'm wondering, have you ever felt pressure within the I'm gonna say five plus years, right? Yeah. Um, oh, to absolutely. change your body to fit a certain yeah. type? Yeah.
1: Yeah, because I have always been I would say just a medium size, like, you know, six, eight kind of person. That's how I've always been. Mm -hmm. But I look around in my spaces and when, when you think about a spin instructor, and you can even type it into Google, the first few images that pop up are thin, blonde, white women. Mm. There's nothing wrong with thin women. There's nothing wrong with blonde women. And there's nothing wrong with being white with white women. But when you combine all these three and then you put them on the pedestal of what perfection looks like, what you look like, you start to feel some level of pressure. And I had to even take a step back and be like, you know what, Sasha? you are made the way you are. And I love food too much. And I love myself too much period to try (laughs) and put myself in a mold in which I'm not going to fit in. Mm -hmm. And you go to places where, and this is something that I've really started to, to really become a part of who I am, like stick to my values. You go to places where you're celebrated, not tolerated. Mm -hmm. So if there are spaces in which like I felt that I wasn't being celebrated, that I wasn't welcomed, that my presence wasn't appreciated, that the, the love that I'm giving is not appreciated. And I feel like I'm forced to change or I got to tiptoe around people. I'm like, this is not an environment that's healthy for me. This is not an environment that I need to be in. And I'm not going to fit myself into this because, again, we are socialized. Like like you said, like you're leaning you're existing in mostly white spaces. Like I feel that on a spiritual level because so many fitness and health and wellness spaces are very white leaning. Mm -hmm. They're very like, they're very white. So you start to feel like, do I have to look like this to be successful? And I really credit my parents a lot with I'm, I'm Nigerian first generation Nigerian. My parents are immigrants. So I really appreciate I don't even know if they were conscious of the fact that they were doing it, but growing up, I really appreciated the fact that I, I can look back on it now and be like, damn, I appreciate that we didn't have white dolls growing up. Mm. We we saw ourselves reflected. They were very mindful of the TV shows that we were watching and the media that we were taking in. Like I was never taught anything other than the fact that I was freaking beautiful and amazing and my skin was beautiful and I my hair that. was beautiful. And I think my parents were like really mindful of the environment in which we were raised mm-hmm. that was going to make us think otherwise outside of our homes. Yes. And so because I had that foundation, I think it was a little bit more, it was a little bit more difficult to break me, whereas other You know, people may other black women may not have been so lucky and felt more pressure to conform, whereas I felt that pressure. And then I was like, you know what? Eff it. I'm good. Mm -hmm. I'm fine the way I am.
0: I love that. It's so true. And so many parents don't realize how I mean, obviously, anything happening in a child's formative years are going to stick with them. But I think parents need to become more aware that the space that they create for their children at home is how they're going to act outside yes exactly um because so many times you know you go to school you're getting told something you go to sports you're getting told something but if you get that love and that reassurance from your parents that's something that I feel like can't break you know your nothing can break your spirit um and I love that you are first generation I'm also first generation my parents are from Angola so in the house (laughs) um but so you mentioned that you were you know, not afraid to speak your mind, you are very active on Instagram. um, And I'm not going to use the word outspoken, because I feel like that's negative. But you are very (laughs) vocal on Instagram with, you know, um, racism, microaggressions, people doing the work and learning. And, you know, it not being black people's responsibility to educate other individuals of what they need to do. And Correct me if I'm wrong, but I saw on your Instagram that you were speaking and I wanted to assume it was at the Black Lives Matter. What was that like? Because I feel like me personally, I was so overwhelmed and so emotional that I ended up going inward versus like hitting the streets that, you know, I was just overly posting on Instagram so many stories a day. (laughs) People are like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm losing it. I've got 70 stories on my Instagram. (laughs) um so what was that experience like for you and did you did you set that up on your own did you work with people to get that started
1: yeah so it's funny how that came along because the studio that i was coaching at i'm no longer coaching there the girls or the women that set that up, I'm very mindful not to call grown women girls. Like, so I'm like trying to work that out of my vocabulary. Yeah. <laughs> but the the couple, they, they are really young. So I'm like, girls, women, young, yeah. young women. I'll just say that. The young women that Perfect. set it up, they were writers at the studio that I was at. And oh. I think we're, A all more vocal now about what's happening, but before, like in my classes, since I was like coaching at that particular studio, like 2018, I was talking about a lot of these things, like my experience as a black woman, a black woman, the racism that I dealt with, the microaggressions that I dealt with, how difficult it can be sometimes, how demoralizing it can be, Mm -hmm. so they had already known me from that background and then everything happened last summer and they saw my instagram and they're like hey sasha we don't want to put you on the spot you feel free to say no but we would honestly love if you could come out and just speak for 5 to 10 minutes just say what is on the heart and i i i like sat on it for a day because i was like you know you feel a little bit of that imposter syndrome like who am i to come mm-hmm. and speak about something that's so that's so pivotal. And then I'm looking at the lineup and there are all of these people and they've like dedicated their life's work to it. And it's just like, here I am just this woman with my experience, uh, with my, you know, life, with my lived experience, but your lived experience is part of your credentials. I Mm -hmm. strongly believe that when people feel like, Oh, who am I? Who are you not to take this opportunity to speak up and say something? So I sat on it for a day and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. Oh, yeah. And I, I got there and I was like a little nervous. And then I was like, just say what is what you've been saying on Instagram. Just say from the heart, because mm-hmm. how we talk on Instagram, like how I'm talking now, like I'm imagining you're in my living room, my bedroom, and we're yes. just talking, we're having a conversation. And that's generally how I talk to people. So I got up there and that's kind of how I led that. Like we're just having the conversations amongst friends. And it was so it was one of the most empowering experiences of my life. And one, one woman saw it on Instagram and she reached out to me and she was like, I've been watching your Instagram and then I saw you post this that you spoke at this. Have you ever considered speaking? Because I think that is probably something that is in your ministry and it's a gift of yours. And if you haven't considered it. You should, mm-hmm. and it is something that I have thought of, but again, that like little itty bitty bit part, of it, like itty bitty imposter, yes, it's like who are you? And then I'm like, who am I not? And it really that experience honestly has changed my life over the past couple of months. Like, I've been stepping more into what I feel like my calling is. And it led to me creating this workshop to address diversity, equity, inclusion, and representation within the fitness industry. Because from that experience, two separate studios in the area reached out. They are like, hey, can you speak to our team about what we can do to improve diversity, equity, representation, and inclusion? Because we're two white women. We don't have the language. I love that. you have the language. And two or three years ago, I would have been like, Google is your friend. (laughs) And I'm so very much like Google is your friend, but also I recognize a lot of people want to do better, but Mm -hmm. sometimes you don't know where to start. Uh, And if you've never been fishing, you're not going to get out there and just be like, all right, Mm -hmm. let's, you know, figure it out. You're going to go to someone, you're going to look up resources to help you. And if I can be a resource to improve the space that I'm in, then I'm absolutely going to do that.
0: I love that. And what are... Or what do you feel are the biggest challenges that come with um, talking about diversity and inclusion?
1: Yep. I honestly people addressing their implicit and unconscious bias okay. because we have been so deeply ingrained in a in an anti-Black society, that it's even in the language of our culture. So Mm -hmm. we've been so deeply institutionalized, socialized. It's in the water. It's in the air. Anti-Blackness, racism, people don't recognize that they've internalized this and it's become a part of... Not necessarily their beliefs. They wouldn't think nobody would be like racism as a part of my beliefs. Like somebody, if you told somebody that, they, that they'd that be so offended. But in a way, it does impact how they treat people and mm-hmm. they're not aware of it. So getting people to realize that and then not feel guilt for it, because something that I've noticed is a lot of people, when you get them to that place of recognizing it, they're like, oh, my God. I've been white for so long and I've probably offended so many people of color. And I'm like, girl, bruh, this is not going to help us out right now. Yes, you're white. You don't got to feel bad about it. Let's just do better. Let's just right. learn and do better. But some people get stuck in that space of, do I have to apologize for the time in the seventh grade that I called that kids whatever? And I'm like, no, no, we're past that. And it was 20 years ago. Let it go. Just right. be a better person. Right. And so I, I I think that is probably the most difficult part for me, getting people to like move into the space of not feeling guilt and then on the contrary side there are people who don't even want to recognize anti-blackness is real Mm -hmm. racism is still a thing prejudice is still a thing they want to believe that we passed the 13th amendment or free the slaves and then we have passed the equal the civil equal rights bill so everyone's the same now and i'm like no, so you, you, you get that exact opposite angle. So I would say probably just the two extremes that I go through. Yes. <laughs> they are the difficult parts.
0: I know. Yeah. And it's it's kind of hard to work with people that are so, bl- bl- like, they want to do the work, but they realize how hard and how deep they have to go and then they're like you know what it's not that bad we've come so far i don't see color and it's one of those things where it's like but if it were easy like we wouldn't be here people wouldn't be dead in the streets so thank you. clearly there's a lot of work that needs to be done and i i remember um so last summer I was like posting on those Instagram stories and people were saying in yeah. my DMs, like, it's not just black people who are going through things like everyone's Girl, her- you don't get out of my yeah. just- <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, at what point are people gonna realize like we're not trying to be the star of the like we're screwed movement? We're just trying to say That we have been wronged and we want people to acknowledge it. Obviously, after these couple of weeks, we realize Asians are also hurt. Hispanics have been hurt. Like, you know, Muslim and different, there's Indian um, countries that are still going through like the whole, you know, being lighter is right. So everyone is going through things. I just wish people would understand that we are only speaking on our own issues and it's not to say it's better or worse it's just ours
1: you know and and i think that there i love that you said that because i honestly think there are people who think black people are going for gold in the struggle oppression olympics i'm like do you think anyone wants the gold medal in this like this is insanity like take it you can have it i will take honorable mention i will take the fact that i didn't even qualify like i don't want this i don't want this at all i don't think any black person is like please oppress me Please discriminate against me. And I think, honestly, people think that. It's insane to me. And then it's like they have this, like, this just refusal to accept historical context, right? Right. Since 1619, since the first Black African was brought to this country, we have existed in a state of oppression, anti-Blackness, discrimination, Assault on our bodies, dehuman. We weren't even considered a whole human being. There was a whole piece of legislation that said we were three-fifths of a human. So when we think about the context of it, for as long as Black people have been in this country, it has never been, it's never been Gucci. It's never (laughs) been rainbows and sunshine and unicorns and sprinkles. Mm -hmm. So who are you to say, well, you guys get over it deal with it. I'm like, are you dumb? And it's, it's it's like very hard to not say that, right? That's like my gut instinct reaction. I'm like, all right, dial it back, Sasha, dial it back. You can't talk to people like that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm like, but baby gut. So, so yeah, I, I 110% agree with you. And I cannot believe, I, I want to say I cannot believe people came into your inbox like that, but I can believe it because people showed up in my inbox like that. And I'm yeah. like, okay, let me, Google is your friend. I'm going to send you these articles because... I'm not arguing with you. I haven't argued with anyone since 2019 and it's been amazing. I'm protecting Mm -hmm. my peace. I'm protecting my energy. I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah,
0: I know. And sometimes you have to realize that, or what I realized was that person was clearly feeling a type of way, whether Mm -hmm. it was guilt or whether it was insecurity or anger at the fact that I was making something so obvious to their face that instead of them internalizing it and dealing with it they decided to lash out which i'm now 30 and i'm realizing that when some people are angry with you it has more to do with them than it has to do with you
1: girl i am a mindfulness coach like i lead mindful meditations like i'm in the confidence and mindfulness coaching space and other people the way we Walk through this world who people are unconscious of the fact that they project onto other people. It's Mm -hmm. absolutely insane. And people don't, a lot of people, I don't want to generalize. A lot of people don't recognize, they don't recognize that, Mm -hmm. that the way they are responding to people that they are showing up in their world is a direct reflection of how they feel about themselves. Mm-hmm. So when people start, I love that you use the phrase lash out because that's exactly what it is. And when people start to lash out at me, I'm like, this has nothing to do with me mm-hmm. and everything to do with you. And it's like, don't let your self-awareness get you cussed out because I won't. <laughs> out, I'm not, or your lack of self-awareness, right? don't let it get you messed up because I, <laughs> will gather you with love and (laughs) light and be like you need to go work on yourself boo i'm manifesting for you here's some affirmations you can say but please Keep your spirit over there because there are people who walk through this world with dementor energy and they it's like they see your light, they see your energy that you're just giving and you're happy, and they're like, "Mm." Yeah, kiss of like dementor kiss of death, like, they're like sucking the life out of you, yeah, like take that over there, like, expecto patronum, like, (laughs) I love that.
0: I love that. Yes, keep that over there. Like, I'm just trying to get through the day, you know, just everybody. Oh, we
1: are out here trying to function. We're in this whole parallelogram, and I'm like, I am still, I'm trying to survive. I'm trying to function. I'm trying to be happy, okay? Like, right. Go away. Like,
0: lest we not forget, it's still a, a pandemic. i'm like listen with
1: everything going on in the world
0: you want to come into my inbox like this no no yes no (laughs) okay and i i mean i love this i feel like we could go on for hours um i I would love to too and we're definitely going to do a part two but um (laughs) just to wrap it all up what would your advice be to those who are afraid to take up space because I'll be honest, I've been out of college now since 2012. And it's taken me a couple of years. I, to be honest, I'm still kind of dealing with it. Um, Where I, I am afraid to either speak my mind or be my true self, you know, in fear of not annoying, but um, just, you know, not wanting to take just up too back. much space. Exactly. So, you yes. know, just conforming, being how you were raised and told to be. And what would your advice be to anyone who's either starting their career or having this, you know, new... What's the word? When you're... Oh, epiphany of how they want to ask. <laughs> yes, Yeah. <Okay. laughs>
1: yeah, so really, I work in the space of mostly talking to women mm-hmm. and I do this because women are freaking amazing and men are great too but I find that with women we are socialized to take up as little space as possible mm-hmm. to not rock the boat to make everyone around us feel comfortable and as you look around in your life reflect on where that's gotten you right it's probably playing it small playing it safe has probably dealt with like missed opportunities frustration on your behalf maybe not regret but looking back on a situation and being like i wish i would have done that differently so my advice to everyone would be first and foremost you were not put on this earth to be mediocre Mm -hmm. you were not put on this earth to settle you were not put on this earth to play it small we all have gifts and we wouldn't have been given those gifts if we were meant to keep them to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So when I say, I'm going to say, don't be afraid to take up space. You're going to be like, how's And I'm going to be like this. <laughs> Every day you wake up and recognize that A, the breath in your lungs are a gift. And if this was your last day on earth, what would you want it to look like? You would want it to look like I woke up, I got out of bed. I stepped in my purpose, I lived in my purpose, I said what I had to say because I don't want to leave any space feeling what if. Mm -hmm. You know, I I, I think about the times in which I did play it small, like years and years and years ago, I said, I I, I only had a plan A and my plan A was to go to law school. And everyone growing up, everyone was like, Sasha, you'd be such a fantastic lawyer, you know? You argue so well and you speak so, you know, you're just out there, you're in front of there. (laughs) You should be a lawyer. And I went through college thinking that, and even though at the end of college, I knew that that's not something that I kind of wanted to pursue. I was like, well, I got to make my parents proud in Nigerian home. And you know this, at that, we, you know, we Africans, we get this, there are only three acceptable career paths, (laughs) doctor, lawyer, or engineer. Yes. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to make my parents proud. I was going to (laughs) be like, girl, being a lawyer. So, but I knew that wasn't the right path for me. i worked in a law firm for two months. So Anyways, I take the LSATs, I apply to every school, not every school, I applied to the five schools that I wanted to get into. I got rejected from all of them. <laughs> every of them the envelope was hella thin. I already knew that your girl was not getting in. And I was like, ah! And it was the first time in my life that I had failed that I had not achieved Mm. what I set out to. Mm -hmm. And it absolutely broke me. Mm -hmm. And for five years, for five, six years, then this is what actually led me to cycling. For five years, I was like so afraid. I was so afraid. I was so afraid to fail again Mm -hmm. that it cost me missed opportunities. It cost me fear was such a powerful motivator in my life that I was so afraid to put myself out there for things that I knew I was qualified for. So the intellectual part of me was like, Sasha, you got this. But that fear monster on my shoulder was like, what if they say no? And then something finally clicked in my brain. What if they say yes? Mm -hmm. And you haven't even given yourself that opportunity to accept that yes, because you are so afraid of the no. And it really, I, I worked myself out of that scarcity mentality by recognizing that life is too short Mm -hmm. and really that's my advice like if I if I could give one piece of advice it would be just life is too short so do what do what ignites you lead with your values lead with your purpose and your purpose you find that by leading with your values so if something is important to you you got to listen like you got to quiet the noise of life and you know Mm -hmm. all the media and everything like that going on and just listen to your heart, listen to your values. And yeah, just don't, don't be afraid to take up that space because men aren't afraid to take up that space. Men aren't afraid to go out and say, this is what I want. This is what I deserve. Give me this salary. So as women, we gotta, we gotta not be afraid to negotiate our salaries. We gotta not be afraid to apply for that job that we maybe think is a little bit out of reach apply for it. Anyway, go for the things that you want, because yeah, what if they say? No. But what if they say yes and you haven't even given yourself the opportunity to receive that? Yes. Because you are so fearful of the no.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's funny. There's this quote that I have that's been on my brain for like years now, but has really since the, like since COVID and going into quarantine, it's like, feel the fear and do it anyway. Yes. So if you're scared to do something, it's probably a motivator it's probably pushing you like why are you so scared mm-hmm. what, what 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 am i afraid of that i'll succeed like oh god right you know so so feel that fear and do it anyway
0: i love that yes oh my gosh so one of my biggest <laughs> quotes like i'm i don't know about you but i'm a wall quote girl like i put live laugh love dance like no one's watching <laughs> My biggest one, if I could put on a wall, is our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Like, I can go through the whole thing. It's just, I love that quote because it says, like, you know that you can be successful. You know there's so much within you that can do it, but for some reason, you're afraid to do it. And why? Like, why are you afraid to shine? If When you shine, you unconsciously let others do the same, right?
1: Right. And, and think about your eight-year-old self. Like if yes. you think about you at eight, you couldn't tell eight-year-old you you couldn't do nothing. Yes. You were like, I'm gonna backflip off that slide and then I'm gonna cartwheel right back up in. And you couldn't tell eight-year-old you you couldn't do that. Uh-huh. So what happens though? Because they say a girl's confidence is at her highest between eight and nine. And by the time she's 12 years old, it's, right. Thank you. But then when you think about how we socialize girls from such a young age, mm-hmm. we beat out their confidence. So the fact that our confidence as young girls is the highest at eight, it's freaking sad. But then you think about it and you think, this is why I say go back to your eight-year-old self. No one could tell eight-year-old Maria nothing. Mm-hmm. You were like, I'm going to do this and what of it? And so Who is going to stop me? And you think about your eight-year-old self. You think about how much confidence she had and what led to that confidence. You, before other people could get to you Mm -hmm. and tell you what you were and tell you what you weren't. So we have no sense of self before others project onto us. Mm -hmm. Their hopes, their dreams, but also their own fears and their limitations. Mm -hmm. And then we take those on and they become ours, but they're not ours. So we have to start shedding that and going back to our eight-year-old selves. Yes. And I've been, like, in the process of doing that. And it's allowed me to fully, fully 100% te- step into my space where it's, like, I'm on this journey of growth, but you can't tell me nothing. Right. So if you're going to be negative over here, like constructive criticism, I will take it. But just negativity and your own projections and your own limiting beliefs and your own self-doubt that you're trying to throw to me, take it over there. Like, yes. No, thank you.
0: And I think there's obviously a difference in delusion and, you know...
1: (laughs) Like, 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 listen, I ain't going in tonight doing open heart surgery just because I manifested it and I saw it on YouTube. Like, right. Yeah, we we're, we're right. doing that. Yeah, no.
0: I just want listeners to know like, there's a difference between delusion and manifesting. You know, we're exactly. saying be positive, but also do the work to get to wherever you want to get to. You know? Right. You, you Exactly. That
1: confidence in your ability to succeed. Yes. Right. Like, there, there's a difference between confidence and delusion. So please, no one go out there and try to debo your way into an operating room and do open heart surgery. Please don't do that. Or like, you know, just, you know, go and do things that maybe you probably shouldn't. But like, as far as, you know, confidence, being confident in your ability to succeed and doing, being confident in your ability to do what is required to get you where you want to be. That's what we want. I love that.
0: I love that. Okay. And to end the podcast, what or who is your biggest inspiration?
1: Absolutely, my parents. Love them. Uh, the American culture is interesting. Mm-hmm. We idolize, uh, we tend to idolize celebrities yes. and people that are out of reach for mm-hmm. us. Well, I was not socialized, all right? I didn't grow up, but Nigerian culture is not like that. So I was raised to... Really be mindful of the people in our community and look up to the people who are doing good things around you and the people that you can touch and get advice from and just pick their brain and watch them. And I admire my parents on so many levels in a manner in which I cannot begin to relate or uh, just to begin to understand. Mm -hmm. My parents, like like I said, they're immigrants. They came here. They're both firstborn, firstborn children. Mm -hmm. So there was so much responsibility put on their shoulders. They were both leaders in their own way. They came here by themselves, no family, and my dad with nothing. Literally, my dad had a suitcase and some clothes. My mom came with a little bit more, but my dad had literally nothing when he came to this country. That didn't stop him, though, from going out and achieving the things that he wanted to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And I saw him fail so much growing up, but from failure, Comes success mm-hmm. and you cannot succeed without failing mm-hmm. and I saw him fail and never give up and that's something that as an adult now in seeing it I admire both of them so much the love that they have for each other the way in which they raised us to put family above all else and when you're it, I don't know if you have, I'm sure you have this experience because I talked to a lot of other first generation kids and it's like when you are young and you are growing up you are being raised with your parents' culture in a country that is not dominant of your parents' culture. Sometimes you want to take on the majority culture and you're like, oh, why do I have to eat jollof fries? How come I can't have burgers and french fries? You you want to rebel so badly and you want to become a a part of the majority culture and for a long time I wanted that and it wasn't until maybe my 20s, Mm my early 20s and my mid-20s that I start to understand and start to value like truly value and see the sacrifices my parents made how important my culture was in shaping who I am today and if it wasn't for my parents I wouldn't be who I am I wouldn't have the confidence that I do I wouldn't have the just sense of self-assuredness and that vocalness to stand up for myself and to speak up for myself and just to know that I am enough yeah you know, and, and and African parents, they can be very critical of you, but you know what they say is with love. They are yeah. like, oh, Sasha, I see you've gained some, or, oh, Sasha, yeah. well, well, I see your friend is doing this. Why aren't you doing that? But literally now, I know that they're saying it with love and because they want the best for me. And in my 20s, it was really, it was hard in my late teens and early 20s, yes. it was really hard for me to see that. And I, like, knocked hands with my mom so much. But now I love talking to my mom. Like, me and my mom, we talk forever on the phone, and yeah. it's great. So honestly, my biggest inspiration is my parents. They have sacrificed so much in this country. They have suffered a lot. Um, yeah. you know, they missed because they're both firstborn. They miss seeing their younger siblings grow up. So they are the, they raised us to be a really tight knit family. I talk to my sisters and brothers every single day. I'm one of seven. Yeah. I'm number two in that lineup. So I talk to my siblings nearly that. every single day. We have a sister group chat. I'm in that every day. My brothers, I don't talk to them as much. I maybe talk to them like two or three times a week, but, um, no, I, I really, I really, I really look up to my parents so much. I, they're all, everything that they've sacrificed for us, I will never be able to repay it. Yeah. And they're just amazing. Like, I'm. oh my God, I feel like I'm going to cry. I know, it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> no,
0: I completely understand. And you know what? You cry if you want to. Like, I will not judge you. Um... But I love hearing that because most people, and you're right, within our culture, we idolize people we don't know or we can't see. But um, I love your answer. I vibe with it. I completely understand. And there are precious people. We must protect our parents at all costs. At, at
1: all costs. Yes. You know, it's so funny because literally my siblings and I are always like, can we buy group therapy packages for yes. our parents? Because they have been through so much. And I love. You see the like... The success of it, but you haven't, like, processed the emotional sometimes trauma of it. Yeah. So there are so many things from my culture, how I was raised within my household that I would, like, absolutely instill in my
0: children. But there are other things, like, we ain't going to do all that. Yeah, we're going to leave so, that at the door.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%.
0: well Sasha this has been an amazing experience you've honestly like just brightened my Friday you have you given me so many little nuggets that I want to carry on with life and I definitely want to make a part two of this um no honestly you you are great you're very inspirational um do you want to plug in your socials where people can find you to work out like drop all your shit in here
1: Yes! Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to keep it cute. <laughs> yes! Keep it cute short. Uh, y'all can find me on Instagram at the Sasha Whitney. Also on TikTok at the same place. It's the uh, like, same name. It took me forever to get on TikTok. Finally on TikTok. You can find me. I have uh, my own podcast, Sasha Spence, but I'm coming back for part two. I am so excited because literally this was like such a great conversation. Yeah. I look, just like talking. Like literally I felt like you were like in the living room with mm-hmm. me and we're just like hanging out and this is so much fun. And then also if you are in the fitness industry i have started my workshop it is open it is abundance or for some scarcity to abundance improving diversity and inclusion equity and representation within the fitness industry if you head to my instagram you can get your ticket for that it's april 14th at 6 p.m it's on a wednesday est so <laughs> yeah check it out and it's for even if you're a client if you're an owner if you're in management If you're a coach, if you're an instructor, I really like to teach it from the mindset perspective because I think people sometimes think that diversity and representation is something you have to teach in the workplace. No, it should become a part of your values. And so that's a perspective that I like to teach it from from the mindset perspective and mindfulness so it becomes a part of your values and you take it into every single space you are in because there is always room to build a bigger table. So, yeah, find me on Instagram at the Sasha Whitney
0: awesome yes guys go follow her check out her workshop and thank you so much for listening to this episode um be sure to like be sure to follow so that you don't miss another episode from me and thank you we'll see you in another one bye